you are. I'm a hypocrite and I'm fixing to say it. I say there's no favorite song. Sorry, Jesus. But that's a little bit of one right there. It's a small sin. But we're going to sing that together. Y'all want to do it together one more time? Stand up, let's do that one more time. that this service would be so filled that could, people couldn't stop our worship. We're heading in the right direction, ain't we? Thank you. Thank you for leading us well. 
It's a hard transition. I don't really want to come out of this place. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you. Thank you. All I can do is pray and pray that we transition well into the Word of God and our hearts are the same we just worship. It's the same way we come to the Word of God today. Can we at least do that together? Man, it's hard to come out of that. Um, Dearly Father, we thank you that we can adore you, that you're more than enough. And some of us came this week and saying, God, I'm not sure if you're enough. I've had a bad week. My marriage, my singleness, my job, my finances. God, you can't, you got to be more than enough for me. So for those who are broken and got to be reminded that you are Jehovah Jireh, we got to be reminded that you are more than enough for us. And if you can take care of the sparrow, you can take care of us. If you can take care of the lilies, you can take care of us. If you can take care of a blade of grass, you can take care of us. So for those who needed to be reminded with your worship, thank you. I never want to get to a point where it's emotional service, but I love when our emotions match our hearts. So God, I thank you for this moment where we had a chance to adore you. And it's no coincidence as we talk about adoring you that we got a chance to do it first. So God, I love you. I pray that you'll speak through my heart, that you'll calm my emotions, but at the same time, speak through them. God, I love you today and I'm desperate for you. I pray that our hearts are soft to receive you and that no one here will put up a guard or a stone heart to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Y'all know I feel at home here. There is no easy transition from that to this. But I got to speak my truth. Everyone here is different. And I'm fixing to talk about one of those differences, and I know I'm going to offend some when I do. We have different types of shoppers here. There is strategized shoppers. There are people who look for sales. And then God did something different with a couple of different people in this sanctuary. We got people that like to shop just because. We have people that like to window shop. We have people that want to say, you know what? I just feel like walking around the mall today. God bless you. That's not, look. That should not happen. If you ain't got the money, don't tempt yourself. See, budgets dictate shopping. This is my personal opinion. This is not about the Bible just yet. It's going to make sense. Budgets dictate shopping. They do. Because if you broke, you don't go in a store you can't afford. So you shouldn't be in Gucci if your budget says Old Navy. You shouldn't be in Chris's type environment of shopping. If your budget said Pierre type shopping. 
I walk past stuff in the store because I have a purpose. The purpose for me is to get straight to the clearance rack. If you don't know anything about the clearance rack, where is it? This is for the people that know where it is. Where is it? In the back. Why do they put it in the back, my shopping friends? They want you to walk past what? All the new stuff. But if you're focused, you don't care what is in front of you because you can't afford it because your budget says what? Clearance. If you know what your budget is, you walk in that direction. You're not distracted with anything else. If you know that your sin habits have created a budget, you walk past everything else. And you walk straight to the Lord. My Lord is ready to receive you as you are, but some of us get distracted with things we can't afford. Some of us are in this sanctuary distracted by things that you know ain't in your budget. We're distracted by relationships knowing our single life is messed up. We're distracted by other people even though we know we got to fix our marriages. Some of us are distracted with our jobs but ain't good husbands, ain't good wives. You're distracted from what you need to be heading in the direction of. But if you know your budget, that you're forgiven, you'll only head to where the Lord's feet are. Because where the Lord's feet are is where you want to be. So I want to take you to three instances in the Bible where someone was at the Lord's feet. She didn't want to go nowhere else. That's where she belonged. She thought that that's her spot in his life. And I'm hoping that your heart matches hers, that all you want to do when you leave here is get back to the Lord's feet. On top of that, my prayer is today when you're in this sanctuary, you are at the Lord's feet, not at Pierre's. Isn't it crazy that preachers often get distracted that you, we think that we're preaching and the Lord is saying, no, lead them to my feet. Lead them to a place where they can glean and learn. And when you go to Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we're going to talk about a woman that said, I know there is distractions. I know that I could be doing something else and that is my role and I should be heading there. But I just can't get away from the Lord's feet. Right here in Luke chapter 10, we pick up in verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed, her, welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening, watch these words, to his word. Where was she? At the Lord's feet. But this position wasn't by accident. This is where a disciple belongs. Now, let me explain. When you think you're in a conversation, you sit at the table. This is going to make sense in a second. Because if he was sitting there teaching, guess who else was present? People at the table. But she didn't want to be at the table thinking this was a one-on-one -on -one conversation. She wanted someone to tell her what to do. This is where I struggle with Christianity and church folk. We think we're in a conversation with God. When God tells you what you need to do, a disciple just does it because the Lord told him to. The Lord told her to. You don't have to wait on a conversation to complete your obedience. But people who think we're at a level playing field, people who think I've been at church long enough, I know my word enough, I've heard Pierre preach enough, we start to think we're in conversation with God. But no, 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 Mary said, I know my place. 
And the reason why I use the word disciple, disciple is someone who takes the word and the teachings of someone else and applies it to their life. Didache, the, the, the fact that he would take those words and say, I'm going to listen so well, but the word listen doesn't necessarily mean she was just kicking it. The word listening, and it's not with some of us, no offense, some of us had a long week. We come, we try to make it through the sermon, we try not to fall asleep, and that's good enough. The word listen doesn't mean that she was just sitting there. Not only was she in a position of a disciple, on top of that, I can prove that biblically, she was listening with zeal. How many of you have ever been in a conversation with somebody and you know they're not listening? I mean, no offense, I've preached long enough to know who's listening and who has the church nod to perfection. I've seen horrific things at different services all over the country. And it's usually the veterans that got it down pat. You know what I'm fixing to say. You ever seen the deacon that knows how to interject right when pastor takes a breath? Because that's the spot he knows pastor likes for him to say amen. And how do I know that? Because one time a deacon mistimed it and interjected at the wrong time. And the preacher was like, That wasn't even an amen point. What are you doing? He just woke up. That's what happens. <laughs> amen. But some of us have a way of listening to Jesus to hang on, but not hang on to his words. We're just trying to hang on. Hmm. Listening for the sake of doing is listening, li different than listening for the sake of listening. Hear me out. Is that some of us listening and come to church with no intention to change our hearts. We can hear a 40-minute sermon, and I'll repeat myself a lot, give you illustration and application and the hermeneutic, et cetera, and all the big words that were taught in seminary, only for many of us never to change our marriages, never to change our attitudes, never to change our singleness, and never to change how we approach people, how we love people, how we kind to people. We're just like, this is me, but I'm going to go to do the right thing and go to church, though. Even though we talk about them deacons, some of us are the same. We just don't say Amen. Listening with zeal is beautiful because that means she was hanging on to every word. Can you imagine this? I wish I didn't have, Pastor says, tight suit, and I don't know, like, why he's trying to clown people. The reason why he have that Steve Harvey suit on, because that's the only thing that fits. Now, moving on. <laughs> I'm proud of my. Can you imagine a woman just sitting there but just doing this the whole time? Because she knows her Savior is talking to her? Think, see, that's the difference. When you listen to someone teaching, you only want to listen as if the Savior's speaking. Not at Pierre. Pierre's not important. I am a messenger. If I die, someone else will carry out the same message. Nobody's important. But what I would say is, do you recognize that who's talking? Because if you recognize who's talking, you wouldn't be so quick to talk back. How many of you, my parents, ever checked you when you decided to think we're equals and I can speak back? And some of us old school mamas got slapped because you're like, who do you think you're talking to? But let me move on to the point. Uh, the absorbing of every word is a beautiful way of describing the word listen is because that means every word that is spoken, not from Pierre, but from the word of God, you absorb for application. So the question I have to ask before we move to the next point is something very simple. is how many of us observe and listen and absorb so you can do? Then I have to ask this hard question. 
How many of you are struggling with the same thing you had last year that you have this year? I'm not saying a year should change anything because time don't do nothing. Because time without activity is just time. But how many of us have taken the time that God has graciously given us not to be the same person we were last year? Some of us are still repeating our New Year's resolutions from last year. Because our words mean nothing and neither does our listening. But there is something here beautiful. But Martha was distracted. I've said this many times that I pray that many of us are Marys in a Martha's world. Was Martha wrong? We're going to clarify some things before I compare and contrast Mary and Martha through these three points. Because the first point is you're at his feet to listen, to learn. But Martha wasn't wrong. Why? Because it was her house. If it's her house, what is her duty? It's to take care of the guests. She invited him there. She's in the right position. She's playing her role. But sometimes your role is unimportant to the opportunity. Hear me out. Sometimes your role as a mother is not the right opportunity if you're given a chance to be at his feet. The reason why some of us struggle to be mothers and fathers is because we don't spend enough time at the feet. We spend more time in our roles. The reason why you're losing patience with people in your house is because you don't walk with the Holy Spirit, so therefore you have no patience. But if you spend more time at his feet, you would carry out your role better. Some of us are just distracted. So we say, no, nah, I can't wake up any earlier to do my devotion, not realizing that your devotions will make you better at your role. Sitting at his feet and giving him the time of day will make you change the way you live your day. But some of us are just distracted. And isn't it crazy, bear with me, isn't it, isn't it crazy that we're distracted with his blessing? Some of us prayed for a husband and a wife. You may regret that, but you did. And now we've come to be more distracted with the person we want to complete us than the person that God said, I want to grow you through. Some of us prayed for a job, but now we give our 8 to 10 to 12 hours to a job, but never to our devotions. Only to be fed on Sunday and praying Pierre finished on time. So if you to do the math and God gives you 24 hours a day for seven days a week and you add that joint up, which I'm not trying to do, and you think 40 minutes is good enough for that much time, you align to yourself. And the reason why you're the same person as last year is because you only given 40 minutes for a 40, 20, you get it. <laughs> Math. The word distracted means that my attention is divided. I know you're here, Jesus. I'm just distracted from you. Can you imagine the Savior that's fixing to die on the cross for your sins? You think it's more important to feed him than to sit at him? If somebody's fixing to die, wouldn't you want, not, now, not that she knew this, but if somebody's fixing to die, wouldn't you want to spend your last moments with them? Now, I'll reverse that statement. If somebody already did die, wouldn't you want to spend time with them? Because Jesus is fixing to die, and we should want to spend time with them. Moving on, watch what it says. Another definition or connotation of the word distracted means that she is pulled away. She's overburdened by various distractions. So therefore, the question you should be asking yourself based on the definition is what distracts you from your time at his feet? So I want you to go through your day real quick while I'm preaching and ask the question, what pulls you away? What overburdens you? And you know what's crazy is that sometimes it's just our emotions. We get too tired for God. We get more tired from the day that God's given us to give him time. Isn't that crazy? Moving on. She was serving all the guests. She was doing her role. 
And then all of a sudden she came to him and she said, Lord, do you not, watch these words, care. She had some audacity on her. She said, do you not care? I love Jesus because he's gracious. Isn't it funny that we ask God to care about what we think is important, not realizing that he's the only thing important? So then we ask God, do you not care about the things I'm distracted with? And God's like, no, you're just distracted. So we ask God to fix things that we ain't supposed to be bothered with in the first place. Hear me out. This is going to hit. Some of us are asking God to fix things that we weren't supposed to be bothered with. Okay, case in point. Some of us are distracted with people at your job that if you just lived your life according to what God told you, you wouldn't be praying for God to fix them. You just got to say, God, let me sit at your feet so you can fix me. Some of us are waiting on God to fix your wife and God's looking at you like, if you would just sit at my feet, you know I got to fix you first. We begging for our wives to change where husbands don't lead anyways. I don't know if you've ever read the verse that says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You're supposed to submit to the Lord first. We're begging our husbands to be God. Stop being distracted. He will never be. And neither will you. Moving on. I know that might sting. Do you not care? Then God answers her, and I got to be quick because we got to go to the next feet section. And said to Mark, watch what he says. How many times did he say her name? Twice. You always got to pay attention to a repetition of Jesus. He's saying what? Martha, Martha. Can you imagine Jesus in his calmness of voice, but also sternly enough to correct somebody? This is a correction tone. Martha, Martha. I just imagine Jesus doing that. He has some calm two fingers. Martha, Martha, you checking me? Look, if, he, if God ever has to say, Pierre, Pierre, boy, you'd be like, where's Pierre? Oh, he did. He died on Saturday. On Saturday. <laughs> he says, you all, oh, this is my word, y'all. You are worried and bothered with so many other things. Can I, can I say this to y'all? Some of our anxiety is because we're worried about the wrong thing. I'm not saying anxiousness and anxiety is not a real thing because it wouldn't be in the Bible if it wasn't. But I want you to know this for a second is the reason why some of us can't sleep at night is not because you struggle with anxiety. It's because you're worried about things you can't control. But the one thing that Martha could control is where she sat. The one thing that didn't matter at the time was being at Jesus's feet. But some of us, the reason why we're anxious is because we don't go to the person who can solve the problems in the first place. So therefore, if you don't spend time with the problem solver, guess who gets to solve all your problems? You do. So therefore, you stand up night trying to solve problems that you can't solve, and God is looking at you saying, Member, member, I got that in the first place. Susan, I got that. Monica, I got that. Kiran. I got that. But if you would sit down, you would know that. Watch. He didn't just use one word. He says, you're anxious. That means you are concerned. You are, watch these words I'm going to say in parentheses. You are unduly concerned. Is it the fact that she shouldn't be doing what she's doing? No. It means that it is not the right time to do what you're doing. Timing. 
Then he says, bother. That means you are causing trouble to be emotionally upset. Because guess how she came to Jesus? She was emotionally upset. He's like, why are you bothered? Did I ask you for food? I'm going to say this last thing, and I got to move. Some of us are bringing things to God that God never asked for. And then we get bothered that he don't want it. And God's like, you're bothered with the wrong thing. When is the last time you were intimately connected to my words? But you're bothered that I don't want your food and your service, but I want you to listen? Because one day I ain't going to be here. But then I want to say this last one, and we got to move. But there only, but only one thing. I'll hear this out. You read it with me. Only one thing is necessary. I only need, watch this, one thing, and that is your devotion. You're devoted to too many other things. Have you ever noticed, real quick, I got to move on, that many of us are bothered with many other things to maintain a lifestyle that God would already give you the best of what he wants for you. So we become bothered with two to three jobs just to maintain a lifestyle that God never wanted to you. Only you present this offering of a lifestyle. And God's like, I never wanted that lifestyle for you in the first place. That you now have to maintain what you are bothered by. And God's looking at you saying, but I never asked for that. Yes, do we need to be financially, have education? Yes. Do we need to be responsible? Yes. But your big, rich, I want to be a millionaire by 28, that's not what he may want for you. But you're like, when I do, God, I'm going to give you the biggest tithes and offering. <laughs> so I'm going to skip 10 years of my spiritual walk. But when I finish working these 18 jobs and I come back to church, you're going to feel blessed. And God's like, I didn't want that. For those 10 years, I just wanted you. I didn't want your new vision board. Offer that up to your wall. My mom is something different, y'all. How many of y'all, this, I'm going old school with this illustration. Before the millennials came along, I remember this in detail because it was kind of embarrassing because I lived in the suburbs, Katy, Texas, before I was a thug. <laughs> Don't get no ideas. Don't test me. My mom would have this binder folder, and she used to carry it into the grocery store. <laughs> I didn't know you were back there, Paul. You remember the torture. Meanwhile, Kevin just gets to walk through with regular money. We, we didn't. But the, it, 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 she would open it up and only buy what was in the coupon book. So not only did we get off-brand cereal while Kevin was getting Lucky Charms, we were getting Bucky's Charms. <laughs> then she would argue that Bucky's was not 30 cents off. I was like, that's the reason we're buying Bucky's, Mom. Just stop. Kevin just made it. Look at Jeffrey. <laughs> Jeffrey's mom doesn't have a binder. She would open it up, but what made it worse, y'all, I ain't going to lie, this was, I'm just going to be, remember I told y'all, this is my trauma healing. 
if it was expired, let's say she made an accident, not only would she argue for the person and call the manager to extend the expiration. <laughs> On top of that, y'all, hear me out. If she couldn't get her way, <laughs> after all that, and me just sitting there, <laughs> please, Jesus, just get us out of here. <laughs> We're not going to make it. We're the only black people in here. <laughs> then she say, what every black mama has said, no offense. You can put that back then. <laughs> so now I'm stuck with born flakes? I, I want to at least get Bucky Charms. Oh, man. Over 30 cents. 30, we're not going to make it out for 30 cents. <laughs> but my mom knew we had to eat. So instead of me going out and getting Lucky Charms, I need to be and make sure these coupons work so we can eat. I'm not up for all these conversations about what you think you need, Pierre. I'm only up to sit here and make sure my kids can eat. So yeah, while you don't know the budget, I do. So since you don't know the budget, be quiet because my budget's gonna lead us to a place where we can eat for three weeks. Hear me out. At the end of the day, she was right. But yeah, I was embarrassed. It doesn't matter in the embarrassment because I belong begging to make sure that everybody eats. Some of us are too civilized to grieve at Jesus's feet, even though we know that's the only way we gonna eat. If you knew that Jesus was the only way and the only person who could heal your discrepancies, he's the only person who can take care of your health and your wealth. If you knew that, some of us would be at his feet. But some of us are just way too civilized to argue with the manager. Some of us come to Jesus like, God, let's have a conversation. And God's like, no, how about you know that I'm your healer? Conversation is unnecessary. How about you get in the right position first? Coupons are unnecessary. Or are they necessary? because you recognize you ain't had the budget in the first place. But watch what happens in the next verse. Because not only do we need to be at Jesus' feet when we learn, we need to be at Jesus' feet when we grieve. And I'm going to prove this point to you because you're going to go to John 11 with me. And when you go to John 11, you're going to see the beautiful scripture. Lazarus had just died, and I wish I had time to talk about everything in this chapter. I preached it yesterday, but there was a special circumstance, and I want to make sure I preach it to you well, but I got to do it quick. I don't know if people heal well because they don't take their grief to the right spot. And I'm going to say this for those who are trauma affected, and I'm not talking about coupons only. I'm really just talking about the fact that some of us have experienced grief, but we haven't went to the right position at Jesus' feet. Some of us haven't laid it down in the right spots. We're asking husbands and wives to fill voids. We're asking friends to fill voids when all that belongs is some of us haven't placed it at his feet. Now watch when Martha gets there in verse 20. It gets beautiful because Martha decided, not that she's wrong. We got, again, we're not making Martha out to be a villain, but Martha, verse 20 of chapter 11, it says, but Martha, when, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, remember Lazarus was dead, to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. But the word meat doesn't necessarily mean other than, watch this, I'm going to meet him because I know him, and then we're going to have a conversation. The word meat means intimacy, so Martha wasn't far off. So what I want you to make sure you understand is that some of us are not emotionally driven. That's fine. 
And before I make Martha out to be worse than Mary, I want to make sure that some of us will say, Pierre, I'm not a really emotional person. I get it. But then I have to ask, is your position correct, not your emotions? Because Martha, yeah, she didn't do anything wrong. She went to go meet Jesus to request of God and to ask God some simple questions. You are allowed that privilege because Jesus answered them. But Martha went for a meeting. Here's the difference between a meeting. A meeting is that I'm coming to you to have a conversation with you. I'm not coming with you to beg for nothing. But watch what she says. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know, but watch her faith. Let's not make her a villain. Watch her faith. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. You hear me? Her faith wasn't far off. She just wasn't emotional. So sometimes, yes, just having a conversation with God is great. It's intimate. Doesn't mean you always got to be crying. Don't let me lay this out. But at the same time, I want you to at least get to the different disposition. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Watch your faith again. I got to go through this quick. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. She right? Is she wrong? She ain't wrong. But then all of a sudden, Jesus affirms her, I am the resurrection. But then somebody else comes out to meet him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village. You know how far away he was? Two miles. People think he was two miles away from when Mary said, it's time for me to go see my Jesus. Martha walks back in the house. The house was grieving with Mary. She whispers to Mary, Mary, Jesus is coming. She wanted Jesus to have, Mary, Martha was trying to look out for Mary so she could have intimate time and slip away, but she didn't get it. The people saw her get up and immediately leave, and what do they do? They follow her to, to wherever she's going because they wanted to make sure she grieved with them. So they did the right thing. Remember, everybody's doing the right thing, but Mary don't care who's with her. And all of a sudden, they came with her. And in verse 34, therefore, when Mary came, verse 32, sorry, Jesus saw was and she saw him and fell at his feet. One went for a meeting. The other one was at his feet. So therefore, for some of us who haven't let go of your past grieving burdens and trauma, have you laid it at his feet yet? For those who have said, Pierre, you don't know the things I've been through. You're right. I've been in counseling sessions where I had to tell them I cannot solve your trauma because I'm human. And at some point, nobody wants to hear this because we live in a world of science, and I get it. We should know that science and the Bible can go together if they're aligned. But at the sometimes, we have to ask ourselves, are we carrying something that should be Jesus's? At some point, we're, we're doing too many meetings with Jesus and not enough putting at his feet. We're, we're saying, God, I want to have an educated conversation with you. And God's like, no, I don't mind your emotional response because I receive your emotional response. Hear me out. She says the same thing as Martha. She just does it in a different position. Watch what happens. And Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit. What is the difference here? When Martha came, he had a conversation. When Mary came, he was deeply moved. I know people always talk behind my back. Pierre cried too much in his sermons, and amen. Have that moment. Laugh about it. But I will never hide my tears for the sake of your reputation. And neither should you. 
I'm no offense, Mama Nisha, I wasn't going to stop your worship today because you deserve to have it. And if you decide to cry during this service because dad hurt you in the past and you need to lay that at Jesus' feet, today is your day. If you decide to say, today is my day to grieve because last time I checked, it says when he saw her tears and he saw everybody else crying around her, he was deeply moved. He did not cry when Martha had a conversation. But then one of the shortest scriptures in the Bible, not one, the shortest scripture in the Bible comes up next. And it says, Jesus wept. My God wept for someone. Even though, watch what I'm fixing to say next, he had the solution already planned. So you got to understand the theology. If he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, why would he cry if he knows the results? He cried because he understood her pain. That's crazy, right? You would think he'd be like, hold on, girl, I'm fixing to go do what you're crying for. Stop your crying. But Jesus loves to be in your moment. Oh, God, God is, yes, God is ahead of you. Is he ahead of you? Absolutely. Does he know where you're going? Does he know where he's going in your life? Absolutely. Does he know he can fix your marriage? Absolutely. Does he know he can fix your singleness? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean he doesn't care about your emotion in the moment. But you got to understand that Jesus wept in the Greek does not mean he was sad. Why would he be sad if he's going to fix it? You know what he was? He says he was irritated. He was bubbling up with this, I guess you would say anger, but not righteous anger. Why? Because he's on earth and he got to see the effects of sin on his people. You know when they talk about a high priest that can't sympathize with you? But our high priest can? Because our high priest came to earth to die on the cross for your sins and raise three days later? So when you weep, he understands? So stop hiding your tears from a God who's willing to weep with you. Stop saying, I got this, God. Stop being too tough for Jesus. I'm tired of dudes being told to overcome their trauma. I'm tired of telling dudes, hey, it's all right. You're going to make it. No, let's start telling our young sons, it's okay to cry. It's okay to weep. If you lost a best friend, weep over that friend. Pray for that friend, but also lay it at the right spot. The beauty is you can weep, but don't weep and leave. You weep and you lay. The problem with people is we weep, we leave. We don't come back. We don't lay it at his feet. We don't think Jesus is going to do nothing with it. But my Jesus, when he sees you, he says, wow, the effects of sin on my son and my daughter. I know I can fix that. But not only did he have a temporary solution, ladies and gentlemen, he had a permanent one. Oh, you got to hear this today. You're going to get this gospel today no matter if you saved or not. Not only did he say, I got a temporary solution because Lazarus come forth. That's coming up next. But I got a permanent for you. That some of us are weeping over temporal problems when God's giving you eternal solutions. So I'm not saying don't cry, but I'm saying when you cry, remember you're living an eternal life. So some of the things we're shedding tears for is temporal. Keep them temporary. Some of the friends and people in your life that faded with time, cry over them, weep over them, but also remember you have an eternal reward to live for. Because the last time I checked, my Jesus said, I'm going to take a nail in this hand, a nail in this hand, a nail in these feet, so that you have an eternal life that you can live for. The last time I checked, you can weep, you can cry, but Lazarus, even if he stayed there, was going to a better place. So go ahead, lay your tears at my feet, but I'm going to do something about it. 
Don't you know that my God cares about you enough not to leave you by yourself? Don't you know that my God cares about you enough to send his only begotten son so he could die on the cross for your sins and raise three days later? Don't you know that you're not left here by yourself because he gave you the Holy Spirit to indwell you so you could always walk with him and talk with him? And even when you can't cry, even when you don't have the words, the Holy Spirit will start to grumble for you, they'll start to groan for you, even when you can't do it yourself. So shed your tears, and if you can't shed enough, let the Holy Spirit do his work. Let him do what he's good at. But you can't go back to being distracted trying to solve your own problems, ladies and gentlemen. Some of y'all are going to leave this sermon just trying to fix your husband on the way in the parking lot. Some of y'all are going to leave trying to fix your wives. I'm saying lay it at his feet. People always say, I look at you in Monica's marriage. How did you get there? When God started to work on my heart individually, and then he worked on her heart individually, and that's when we started to get on the same page. But if I kept trying to fix Monica over and over again, and trust me, I did, and I failed. But when the Holy Spirit starts to do his work, some of us are wasting our time. Lay it at his feet. Grieve there. Shed your tears, but move. He wept. But watch what he says. The Jews were saying, you see how much he loved him? That my Jesus loves you enough to weep for you? But they had the wrong interpretation of tears. I love that my God doesn't weep and do nothing about it. That's all I want you to know, man. If you leave this sermon and say, I can weep, but my God does something about my tears. You ever had a cry, buddy? I don't know. I don't. I'm just saying maybe some of y'all did. I don't know, somebody you can go to and y'all can cry and then nothing happens. Y'all go out, y'all get drinks, you tell them how bad the boy you was dating, y'all broke up, now y'all cry. She's like, I feel your pain, and then y'all just drink and then y'all go. <laughs> nothing happened. You just leave drunk with a headache, and the next morning you wake up and y'all still broke up. Nothing happened. <laughs> but when my Jesus sees your pain, he ain't in for conversation. He's in to trying to fix your heart, your life. He ain't no cry buddy. But watch what happens next. There's a different type of being at feet. And I want you to get this one. John chapter 12, Lazarus is already raised from the grave. And then they're now they're having a conversation. I'm going to go old school with y'all. Who remembers the green sheet? Wait, no, I'm, this is a dead serious question. I'm doing a survey. Who, what, who doesn't, remember, raise your hand. You used to walk into Food Town and what they have on the right-hand side. And then we had the internet and they created the place where people started killing people. What was that? Craigslist. That's why everybody got off Craigslist. It didn't make it. People started robbing people. It was like, mm-mm, not Craig. We going to somebody else. Craig got dangerous. Then we had eBay. Yeah. I'm sure eBay's still doing its thing, and then many of us got Amazon. But if you broke like me, hear me out. If you on a budget like P, <laughs> many of y'all buy the price that it says, but how many of you go to the other list? It says other list on the right. And there's things like like new, poor, like poor, and it gives you a description. Boxes damaged, but you get $10 off? I'll be excited. 
I save on shipping and handling, and I get $10 off for a damaged box. I'll take the damaged box, Jesus. Because green sheet crazes, all what they were saying is somebody else's trash is now my treasure. I found what nobody else wanted. The box was damaged. Somebody else didn't want that. But I want it. And you're saying, Jesus, I'm a box that's damaged, but I want that. I'm a green sheet that somebody that somebody's trying to sell on the side, but I want that. So after a while, when you realize that nobody else wanted you, but God wants you, you start to adore him. You start to worship him. You start to live for him. You start to say, God, I didn't belong here. So therefore, I'm not going to sit at the table. I'm fixing to be behind you at your feet. Oh, because she is. But guess where Lazarus is and guess what Martha's doing again? And I'll be quick. Watch verse 20, chapter 12, verse 1. And it says this. Sorry, yeah, John 12, verse 1. So Jesus, therefore, six days in the Passover and where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. Martha was what? What am I doing again? All right, check it. Check it. I'm not going to say she didn't learn her lesson. <laughs> I'm not saying she hard-headed, but I mean the same thing. At least sit down and listen. But then something else happens. I'm not trying to call out two characters only to highlight one, but one gets highlighted all throughout the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Watch this. Lazarus was what doing what? Read it with me. Was the one of those, those, plural, reclining at the table. You would have thought if I knew I was dead and I ain't dead no more, I wouldn't be reclining at the table where, watch this, where my position should be. I pushed myself a little bit lower because I was just raised from the dead. But for some reason, Mary gets it. Martha still doesn't. So watch the characters. Martha goes back to her, watch these words, roll. Was she wrong? No. Was anybody complaining? Absolutely not. The only lesson you could think she learned because they left it out is if she complained about Mary again. Because where's Mary? But this time, it's different. Remember, I said the first one is listen at his feet. The second one is to grieve at his feet. The third one is to what? Adore him at his feet. To worship him at his feet. To serve him at his feet. The third one is different because I would have thought that Lazarus would have been the one sitting behind Jesus because you have to understand what it looks like to be at Jesus' feet at this time. When he was teaching, most of the time they would sit on something and his feet would be facing forward. She just had to be sitting at his feet. This time when you're reclining at a table, in most tables in that culture, guess where their feet were? Their feet were behind them. Why? Because the table was low. They would sit on some type of cushion and they would curl their feet behind them. They didn't belong at the table because they were what? Dirty. So guess what they would do? I got to show you all this is like this. And I'm not trying to be funny about it because I want you to know where she is. She didn't even recline at the table, nor did she serve with Mary, nor did she belong at the table. She says, I belong behind the table, only where your dirty, dirty feet are. We have too many, what I say last week, dignified Christians that only want to recline with Jesus and we don't, sometimes we don't even mind serving Jesus, 
But how many of us are wiping his feet because he's the one that raised your brother from the dead? Or better yet, he's the one that raised you from your sin. So therefore, you would think that everybody, when they come to church, they will be desperate to be at the presence of Jesus' feet because they remember who they were before they walked in here. And now here they are in church getting a chance to worship. So we shouldn't have to prompt you into your favorite song. I'm speaking to myself, Pierre Cannings, before you shed a tear and you're behind me, Jesus at his feet. You should just walk in church saying, Jesus, I just want to be at your feet to adore you. When you wake up in the morning, I just want to be at your feet to adore you. When, I, when you say, you know what, before I go to bed, I want to get at your feet and I want to adore you. Why? Because the last time I checked, I had no hope. The last time I checked, I had no answer for, for my sins. I had no forgiveness. I had nothing until you died on the cross. You raised me from the dead. So not only am I coming to sit at your feet, watch what she's doing at his feet. This time she ain't listening. Because they're just talking now. They're having a meeting again. They're wasting their breath. They are green sheeting it all the way through. But watch what Jesus is doing. And watch what Mary's doing. Mary says, here it goes, took a pound. And when this ain't a sermon about giving, don't get anything in a bunch. But when you love Jesus, you take what your best is. If you know the history of what she took a pound of and what a pound really is, it says costly perfume. So if you look at the costly perfume, it is a sign, watch these words, that she took a liter. Hear me out. Y'all know what a liter is now. We buy Cokes. She took the most expensive thing that she could put on her body and she gave it to his body. But she didn't give it. Now, if you go to other contexts, you see that she gave and put it all over his body, correct? If you go to Matthew chapter 26, it says they put it all over his head and his body. But when she got to his feet, she took time. Do you know how expensive it was? you know how much money she wasted? you know that people were upset in Matthew chapter 6 that she wasted money saying she could have sold that and given it to the poor, but Jesus has to remind them, wait a second, I'm worthy of it too? It's funny, right, that we have to remind people of Jesus' worth. We have to tell them, hey, oh, he's worthy of your time. We have to beg and make sure that we stay on time for our sermons so you can say, well, hey, service wasn't too long today. I guess I'll go back. And God's like, wait, I, last time I checked, I was worthy of that. Why does the pastor have to remind you how worthy he is? Why does the song's lyrics have to remind you of how worthy he is? The last time I checked, I'm worthy of your leader of the most expensive thing you got. And you know in America, the one thing we don't want to give is time. So let's just take the money conversation out. Don't worry about your tithes and offering. We already did that. How about we focus on the fact that some of us don't want to give what we think is valuable, and that's our time. How do I know that? Because devotions are a force. Prayer time is over meals. But when is the last time you had adoration time at his feet, no matter the time? This is a word that nobody likes to practice called meditation. And I'm not talking about Eastern meditation. I'm talking about the word meditation. Meditation is time alone to focus on what your object is. And in spiritual Christian, not spiritual, in Christian, when we say meditation, it means that I'm taking time away from distractions to focus on what God intends so that I can know his purpose. When is the last time you had, watch this, meditation time? Not a quick devotional that you read a page. When is the last time you said, God, I wanna hear your heart? But watch it, it gets better. She anointed his feet. You're worthy. The same anointing word is used for what? Kings. 
right? Do your history. So when they would anoint a king, it was saying, you are now worthy of the role. So since she knows he's the resurrection, since he knows he's the savior, since he knows that he is God's son on earth, I'm not going to sit here and splash it on your feet. I'm going to take my attention anointing your feet. Because you are my king of kings, my lord of lords, my Jehovah Jireh. You are my provider. And when he starts doing all these things, then all of a sudden, guess what starts to lose their dignity? She does. Because she starts to do something you shouldn't do. If you look at more descriptions, she said her tears were involved in this. And she wiped his feet with her hair. Now, I, I lack this option, but I can give him a nice scrub. It may look odd, but I want you to think through whether or not it is bought or it is yours. How many of us would use what God given or God bought to wipe dirt off somebody's feet. I'm just being real here. Fellas, how many of us would take our ball of fade when we know we're going home to the wife? And I've thought about it, and maybe even if I bought the little top piece to cover up, and some of us have got to be real. We're not going to talk just about the ladies. Some of us are starting to spray. We're doing that. How many of you would mess up your new spray line? On dirt. But when you realize somebody's worth, you're not worried about your worth anymore. You know where dignity comes in is when you think you're more worthy than the person you're worshiping. But she didn't care because she took what was worthy and also her most prized possession. You know a woman in that time was not supposed to unlock or untake her hair down? That was a sign of what? Intimacy. Hear this historical context out. That means she's now doing what no one else should see but her husband. And she's saying, you don't understand whose feet I'm wiping. So then I ask this hard question, what is too dignified for you to give up? What is the reason why you come in here saying, motivate me? to worship? What is the reason, the thing, the distraction, the bothering? What is your Lazarus where you think you have to sit with Jesus before you worship? What is your Martha where you think, oh, my service is good enough? How many of us have lately been at his feet giving what is most precious and what is most valued and what is most intimate to God? Then I ask the hard question is what is your hair in this relationship? And what I mean by that, what are you holding back for God for, because you think it belongs to somebody else? Oh, this is, this is going to go somewhere. Because it belonged to her who? Husband. But she had to give it up in order to wipe his feet with her hair. So then I asked, who is stealing the intimacy with God because you're holding on to someone or something else that you won't give to his feet? And trust me, there's people. And if you want to be honest, that when me and Monica were dating in college, it was her. I didn't want to give up Monica until I realized that God was worthy to be at his feet. 
he corrects them quickly. Have you noticed that Jesus corrects them because he wanted the adoration and the worship? <laughs> but I got to be quick. But Judas, Iscariot, one of his disciples. Now, who Judas? Judas that hater, that, 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 that. Judas that one in the group that never paid for the meals, the alligator arm, that one. <laughs> who was, watch what they let you know who was intending to betray him. Guess what this man had the audacity to say? Jesus, shouldn't she sell that and give it to the poor? Bruh, you finna, you finna betray me for shackles. It's funny, though, when many of us are at our lowest and willing to worship, is when the people who are too dignified and honestly self-righteous are the ones who judge the person who's doing the right thing. So before you look across and say, I don't know why she's yelling, I don't know why he keeps jumping, I don't know why his hands are raised, that might be your self-righteousness. So when, one, some, when somebody in this sanctuary decides to shout, I don't care about your background or your culture. When they decide to express themselves emotionally and adore our Jesus the way they see fit, Take your self-righteous eyes and point them ahead. Because the last time living word ain't going to stop nobody's adoration of our Jesus. Because if you're here to judge somebody else's worship, that means you ain't worshiping. I had to point that out. Because some of us are too distracted with someone else when they're doing the right thing. So Mama Nisha, have your moment. Take your time. Don't come out of it unless you see fit. Because we deserve to worship. Shed your tears. Sit at Jesus' feet. Take your time. Because nobody else should take you out of your moment. I don't care if you came here with friends. I don't care if you came here with your groups. I don't care if you came here with your husband. I don't care if he looks at you and says, I know what you did yesterday. I don't care. Stop nudging your partner and listen for yourself. Stop nudging your partner and say, I don't know why you're worshiping. I know what you are. Exactly. I know who I am too, so I need to worship. But if you keep nudging me, you distracting me from my worship. Stop being my Judas. So stop doing this during service. Because God's talking to you. The only reason you moving your elbows is because God, you heard it. And you know what I hate? When we send messages to somebody else hoping to change their life when you ain't listening to the message yourself. Oh, you got to hear this. No, no, no. You hear it first. Pierre was funny today. No, keep that to yourself. Don't be nobody's Judas. Let God change them and let them find their way to his feet too. Hmm. There's a thing that I'm addicted to. It's Apple. I know. For those androids out there, I apologize. But I know your phone doesn't work right. I get it. Your insecurity is showing. Um, <laughs> it works fine, just not today. <laughs> Every other day with Cricket, it works great. <laughs> Your insecurity is showing. All right. <laughs> Back on my point. I had to interact with she's great people. She needs Jesus and Apple, but she's great people. But when you go to Apple's website, you got to know the trick of the trade. 
I was telling Jeff this the other day. He's like, I don't buy iPad. I was like, let me send you some, let me send you this back page I found on Apple. You got to go in the search section. They don't even put it on there because they know people like me will find it. You type in this word refurbished. Refurbished means somebody else thought there was a defect. So they have to take it back to Apple, fix it, and send it. The only way you would buy a refurbished product, because you got to be careful who refurbishes the product. The only way you'll buy a refurbished project is I tell people only buy it from Apple because they can warranty what they fixed. But then you get to save $200 because they had to fix it and had to take it back to their store. But then I get a chance to buy it. So I always go to the refurbished site because I trust the warranty. Ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus takes you back, he's going to warranty his work. And where somebody else said there was a defect, my Jesus says, you looking good to me. When some other person, your Judas said, hey, nah, you can't worship like that. My guy's like, you can go ahead and adore me. Here's a new chip. Get back on the shelf. When somebody else said, I can't warranty the work, my Jesus saying, I can warranty the work. So I guess my point is that some people are too ashamed to be at Jesus' feet, not knowing that Jesus warranties his work and puts you right back in the world where you're supposed to change this life. My Jesus warranties his work. Now, my prayer for you right now is that some of y'all need to recognize that you were warranted. So you'll go back to his feet. How many of you haven't grieved correctly? How many of you haven't listened to him correctly? And how many of you have not adored him correctly? That's it. That's the point of the message. It's that some of us in this room, we are too dignified to adore we're too stubborn to listen, and we're too prideful to grieve. So my prayer for anyone in this room that hasn't grieved yet, hasn't listened yet, listen to change, and lastly, hasn't adored him well, this sermon was for you. Can you stand with me, or can you, can you pray with me?